Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. I can't even get over how amazing this man is. Brian Post is in the building. How are you, Brian? Hey, hey, Pamela. I'm great. I'm fantastic. So honored to be here and amongst your distinguished cast of underdog podcast guests. Oh, my goodness. It is such an honor to have you, Brian. I mean, where do I even start with you? Like child behavior expert, just rock star all around. Like you are just so humble and so incredible and working on so many amazing things for the world and just helping everybody elevate. So I just can't wait to get into your story because when I met you at the mastermind I was like man he is just wonderful just such beautiful (laughs) energy and like you just want to give and help elevate the world which I think is so 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 beautiful so I'll start you with my favorite question if you don't mind sure what inspired you on your journey to where you are today my friend that is a very good question I feel like I was born to do what I've done with children and families my entire professional career. So being adopted or being in foster care, being um, conceived out of wedlock. I was supposed to have been aborted. My biological mother carried me regardless. No one knew until 37 years later when I found her. The only two people that knew that I existed were her and her older sister. And then being in foster care for a short period of time, being adopted, having an adopted sister too, being in a home of conflict, it all was perfectly orchestrated for me to become the person that I am, to have the passion and the purpose and the drive and the obsession for children and families, and also being genetically coded to be an entrepreneur. On my biological father's side, I've got generations of entrepreneurs, which of course, having not never met him until I was 37 years old. I didn't have any clue about that. But um, it's uh, the inspiration probably comes as much from my family growing up, seeing my sister go through a lot of conflict and wanting to help families and help kids grow up in homes where they felt, felt and feel more understood based on their histories and their past experiences. So that's kind of my mental health, child behavior trauma background is in our society, we vastly misunderstand stress and trauma, and we misunderstand behavior problems in children. We become so obsessed, and there's neurological basis for why we obsess on children's negative behaviors, but we become so obsessed by their negative behaviors that we don't listen to the behavior. And so then we don't seek to understand what's driving the behavior. We look at behavior as just the outcome and don't realize that every outcome has a process. And so children aren't just bad because they choose to be. They're not bad at all. They have behaviors that we don't like, but we don't like them because they scare us. And underneath that, we don't like their behaviors because they create stress for us. And when that happens, our brain, our amygdala, our fear receptor, becomes hyper-focused on eliminating the threat. And so then that just creates a cascade of control and dominance and 
and everything else that, you know, then you tie that to children who are already stressed out and you put two stressed out people together. What do you get? Two lunatics, basically, or a whole family of lunatics. <laughs> Ryan, you're amazing. I mean, so many things have stood out as you were talking and I'm just sitting here just in full awe of like your wisdom and your resilience and just how you've taken something that most people would go into victim mindset and you have become empowered and now you're shining a light to others. I've run into a lot of people who have had rough childhoods because that's the way they describe them. And it's mm. almost like, you know, they left me and this is what it was. Whereas you take a totally different approach where it's like, you are actually empowered by it. You're like, listen, I was created for this, which I yeah. think is so powerful. And I know that there's a whole journey and a whole story there. of How did you get out of that victim mindset? Because you mentioned at 37 is when you met your birth mom and your father for the very first time. So how did you pull out of that and really get yourself to such this beautiful place of where you are just empowering the world? Like, it's just so beautiful to me. I know there's a whole story there, but just walk me through that journey a little bit because I think it's so powerful. It might help somebody who's in that right now of how to turn that mindset around. I learned at a very early age, one of my absolute passions as a kid that got me all the way to college was football. Mm. I wanted to be, from the time I was in the first grade, I wanted to be a professional football player. And I was obsessed with it. I worked out, I ran, I ate, I did all the stuff. And along that way, along that journey, I just really came to embrace, number one, that I was in complete control of my destiny. Mm. That it was me who woke up in the mornings. It wasn't anyone else. It was me who got up, you know, when it was still dark, it was me who, who went and pushed myself and pushed my body and would sweat and then read and study. It was me who did all that stuff. And it wasn't anyone else that did that. So I learned somewhere along the way that taking responsibility was just a natural part of trying to become not just successful, but great. You'll never meet a great person who's a victim. There's nothing about being a victim that I am interested in hanging on to as a vibration. Mm. All the people that I studied and the books I read and the, the players I would watch, I never associated with victimhood. And, and you know what? I'm going to go back even further than that, Pam. My dad worked in a rock quarry. He's my adoptive father and the only dad I, he, he was my dad. He worked in a rock quarry for 35 years. He'd get up every single morning at 4.30 in the morning and he would work until he'd get home at 3.30 in the afternoon. I never heard him complain about that work. And he would come home covered in lime dust. He never complained about that work. He was never late for work. And that was modeled Hard work was modeled in my life. My mom worked. She got up. Eventually, she, she would get up and she would drive an hour. She drove two hours round trip to work. I didn't grow up in a family of victims. You know, I just grew up in a family of, of people who kind of took responsibility for their life. I grew up in a little country town. So much of who I am is a byproduct of the environment I grew up in, which is fascinating because I, my sister grew up in the exact same environment and had a completely opposite experience. So I grew up around hardworking people. They didn't blame other people for their plot in life. Is it plot or plight? <laughs> I think it's either. Your plot is, is what you have. Your plight is your journey. So they didn't blame anyone. They just did what they did. And, and they tried to be thankful and tried to be grateful. And I know as an adopted adult, I know a lot of people that are adopted and a lot of people that come from trauma are challenged by 
the notion of being victimized by the early circumstances and the people in their lives and, and what I want us of that tribe and community, which is really everyone. We've all experienced some kind of trauma in our lives. I want people to understand that you don't get to greatness without trauma in your background because trauma creates stress, just like the coal that is, is heated up to get to the diamond. The trauma creates the stress to shape your brain and create your capacity so you can actually receive something great and work towards something great. So it doesn't happen. Oprah, Steve Jobs was adopted. Jeff Bezos was adopted. Oprah was sexually abused. The list of truly great successful people goes on and on and on and on and on that were traumatized. And so it's just not something that we have to, we have to hang on to as a defining negative characteristic of who we are. Absolutely. And I love that. I love that. It's just so empowering to see that and how you've taken it and really taken it to the next level in your life. And I mean, and you mentioned like the trauma and also you were mentioning earlier behaviors, you know, I think feel like nowadays, I mean, we live in a society that you go to the doctor's office and, you know, the kids acting up in school, ADHD, put them on Adderall. Yeah. What? My parents, as a kid, I always was like ADD all over the place. I'm sorry, I still ADD all over the place, but I never took medication because I was like, no, 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 I don't trust that. And like for me, it's so it's just, but it's just like now being older and seeing like you know, my friends with, with their kids and like kind of like what's going on. And it's like, why is this just like the simple answer? Like nobody wants to dig into that trauma and clear those emotions that are stuck within us and suppress all the things. And it's like, then if you end up suppressing, then guess what? Then it's self-medicating. And then it turns into this whole role of disaster in people's lives. And it's like, why are we just not listening? You know, it's all these mental health, like, ah, you know, 100%. We live in a quick fix society. We live in a society that is outer directed and not inner directed. And so diagnosis of medication is just a natural byproduct of that. And people don't want to hear it. People don't want to hear that because it, number one, what happens is we automatically feel threatened. I'm not into medication and I would never want any parent who's got their kid on medication currently to take their child off. You need to go to a doctor. You need to talk to, have a, have a physician oversee that. What, what I will tell that parent is that there is the possibility that that your child can be successfully, can be successful without medication. It may not look like the teacher wants him to look in the classroom, but that is a gift. That's not a curse. And we have to stop suppressing exceptional behaviors and we have to start encouraging and nurturing it and shaping it because those are the individuals that really do become the entrepreneurs. They're the individuals who do really do go and study and work hard and try to create something great for society. It's possible, but the first thing a parent hears is a threat. They hear that that's a threat that they did something wrong. So then they feel ashamed. And so then they become defensive. And at that point, you're shut down. You can't learn anything as long as you're closed off. You have to try to approach life and relationships and opportunities as open. And you have to just be willing to say, what if? Because I always say about children and negative behaviors, you have to explore every opportunity to shift the environments and the relationships before you put the kid on medication modify the environments and the relationships. So when you can say that you've modified every environment and you've modified every relationship, and then there's still an issue, then you consider it. But I know for a fact 
that if you truly modify the environments and the relationships, you will find that that child does not need medication. That's amazing. It's the truth. And I'm sure you've heard of this, Brian, but epigenetics. I heard that for the very first time, the science of epigenetics from Dr. Bruce Lipton. And I was mind blown. I was like, makes so much sense, but it's so super fascinating that your literal environment can alter your DNA. Absolutely. Yeah. And I tell you what, something else Bruce Lipton says that 98% of disease and disorder is related to stress in the autonomic nervous system. I'm almost certain he left 2% just to leave a little, a little gap, but I think it's a hundred percent. And that hundred percent ties into generational stress and trauma and the shaping of our DNA and our genetics over time. Because I'll tell people, there's no one who can go back even one generation like you. You might be the rare exception where you can say, oh, I had I had the absolute most ideal childhood experience from conception to the womb experience, to my birth, throughout my childhood with my parents. Everything was fantastic. There was no trauma. There was no exceptional stress. Just go back one generation to your mom and dad and you'll find trauma. And that trauma gets passed down. Yes. Amen. Well, sometimes I deal with friends or like people that I've come across that they're like, Pam, I can't understand why. Like I can't pinpoint anything in my life as to why I'm depressed. Like I don't have anything to be depressed about, but I don't get why. And I'm just like sitting there and I'm like, it's in your line. And it's crazy because one of my best friends, I think I've told you about her, Jesenia, she is a spiritual teacher and a healer. And it's interesting because her perspective and like what she does is like past life stuff. So Mm -hmm. she's like, you know, there are no new souls on this planet. And the average soul has lived. She she told me this and I lost my mind. I was like, what? Three to 500 lives the average person has lived. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of trauma you could expose yourself to. And she's like, and that's Mm -hmm. why these wounds happen. You know, sometimes, you know, we, where we have um, physical pain or, or emotional pain is something that happened prior to. And I'm just like, whoa, you know, that's mm-hmm. her in the spiritual realms. But it's just so interesting to hear these different perspectives of trauma and where it exists because a lot of people, they have such a hard time that they can't understand why they're sad. Like, I just feel yeah. sad. And I mean, I'm just, and, and, and I don't know why. And I'm just like, you know, I'm like, wow, like this is, these are the answers that people should be focused on. But you know, what's really exciting is I feel like the world is ready for this. Like willing to go in and dig deep and all of that stuff. I think we're on the precipice of it. You know, talking about mental health, I think now mental health is coming to the surface for everybody, for society in general, when it was really swept under the rug for so long. I think we're starting to see change. I think we're just at the precipice of it where like it's about to really go down and everything that you're talking about and like different strategies and things to help you kind of release. You know, I'm seeing new apps coming out where it's like you can tell them your emotions and they tell you what to do. And I'm like, this is like this did not exist when I was a teenager. You know, so what, what are your thoughts on that, Brian, and kind of like what you've seen in the pattern and kind of where, you know, where things are heading? I mean, I know that COVID did a number on society mm-hmm. that, you know, in terms of mental health, especially for all age groups, mm-hmm. but especially children got hit as well. So I'd just be interested to hear your perspective and your thoughts. Science says it takes 20 years to shift a paradigm. And so 
if we're thinking 20 years and we go back to the 2000s, the, ni- the 90s was the decade of the brain. So all the fascinating science about the brain. So, you know, according to that, we should be ready for a paradigm shift in our society. I think the biggest challenge goes back to two of the things that you just said. One is digging deep. We're terrified of digging deep. And two, what you said about your friend who's sad and feels sad, just doesn't know why she's sad. We want to, we are conditioned to want to fix that instead of just give into it. It's like the answer is so simple, yet our conditioning takes us to the exact opposite side of that. The answer is to literally be sad as long as you need to be sad, as deep as you can possibly be sad. Find a friend, find someone that you trust and feel safe with and freaking lay down in the bed and be as sad as you can, as deep as you can to the depths of your gut where you're puking out. If that's the level of sadness you need to get to, or you're just having a a good, hard, deep cry, when you come out of that, as you will, because see, the reason we don't go into it is most people are afraid they won't come out of it. They feel like it's so deep and it's so big, they'll never come out of it. But in reality, it's only the size of a cell because it's only a cell that holds that memory and you can't even see a cell. It's not big at all. It's so small. You can't even see it. It just holds so much power and vibration because that's what cells do. They hold they hold memories. They store memories. And those memories have emotions attached to them. And that at the end of the day, that, that memory is only holding on to an experience that is rooted in fear. So that sadness is just coming from a deep, a deep experience of fear that was overwhelming or unpredictable or misunderstood. And so when you can drop into that and when you come out of it, there's going to be this space of of just where your brain stops. Because when you drop into deep emotion, your thinking shuts off. That's why it's so hard for us to drop into deep emotion because we're always thinking, 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 thinking. Well, you got it. That's your left hemisphere. Once you tap into that right hemisphere and you tap into breath and you tap into sound, you will drop into your body. And once that happens, your thinking shuts off. So once you come out of that emotional experience, there's this place where your brain hasn't fully come online yet. And in that place, if you'll listen, you'll oftentimes get to the very root of the pain, or at least there'll be another stop along the rabbit hole to take you a little bit deeper. But it's just something we're not conditioned to do as a society. And we're talking about mental health with kids these days and college athletes, you know, committing suicide. And, you know, these are kids who've been under enormous amount of pressure. Social media creates an enormous amount of pressure for kids these days. Parents can lose sight of their child because of their sports and because of their accomplishments. And we just stop listening. We just stop listening. And in our helplessness, our helplessness causes us stress. In our helplessness, we want to fix it. And how do you fix it? How do you want to fix it? You can try to fix it as simple as saying, oh, it's going to be okay. That happened years ago. That's not relevant right now. Or, you know, go ahead and cry. Okay, that's enough. Calm down. It's going to see, we're trying to fix it. And that's not about That person that we're trying to serve, that's about us. We're trying to fix it because we feel scared. We feel helpless. We don't know what to do. When in reality, all you've got to do is get still, take some deep breaths, realize that you're safe and everything's going to be okay, and encourage that person to keep giving it to you. Keep letting it out. Keep sharing. And don't judge. Just listen and be present. 
I love that, Brian. I love that. Well, that's the thing is that everyone's afraid to feel yes. because of fear of judgment of what people will think of them. We all have our things, man. We all have our things. Yes. Right? We are all, everyone you know is out there struggling with something, mm-hmm. the past, present, or even something they're scared about in the future. Is That's what anxiety is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things. Yes everyone is stuck in and like is so afraid and it's like just let it out it's okay to not be okay mm-hmm. right do what you need to do and pick back up I remember like the first time that I heard something like that in my life I was kind of like what do you mean let it out and just like ah, oh, what <laughs> I'm like no no I'm a tough cookie I'm gonna keep going and they're like damn that is literally avoidance that is a trauma mm-hmm. response you are avoiding. You are working so hard. By the time you get to bed, you don't even want to think about it. But guess what's happening? You're digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper through that experience because you are not facing it. That's fantastic. You know, learning to feel and then just kind of having that compassion for others, like you said, listen without judgment and all of that. And it's just interesting to see like the world is, I think, shifting. Like you said, 20 years for the paradigm to shift. I think it's really starting to now. It's really starting to now. But I think right now we're at this hole of mental health that I don't think we've ever been as dangerous as we have before, like in this part. Like I was telling you before this call that literally I was looking at a chart at like the shootings, 2018, it was much lower. And then all of a sudden you see 2019 and then you see 2020 and you see 2021 and now 2022, how it's drastically elevated. And I remember looking at that chart and saying to myself, this is a mental health problem. People don't just go and shoot places up because they're happy. <laughs> you're so, you're so that, that is so true, Pam. We want to get on social media and we want to start talking about gun control. This is not a gun control issue. People who are emotionally stable and mature and balanced don't go out and shoot and kill other people. This is an emotional imbalance issue. We're not looking at the real issues. But I will also tell you that that increase in all of the deaths and the shootings and the suicides and the mental health crises, as painful as it is, It is indicative of exactly what you're talking about, that paradigm shift, that precipice, because you have to have that great pain to have that breakthrough. Yes. That great pain is leading us to that breakthrough. We just freak out because it's very scary, but it is almost essential because people will not listen. They will not listen until it becomes so painful that they can no longer Ignore Ignore it and deny it. And so as terrible as it is for all the families and all the the kids and the schools and the communities, it is a byproduct of a necessary process for us to make a greater shift, hopefully for for our entire world, for our humanity. Amen. Absolutely. And the same thing goes with addiction. Addiction yeah. rates are way up. You know, I drive through Boston and my, my heart just sinks to the bottom of my stomach because I mm. see these people on the street and I'm like, that's somebody's mother, father, daughter, yeah. sister, somebody they love. And like, they are just, it's just helplessness because they're trying to get help. But they don't know how, and then they go for that. You know, some of them, they got prescribed that and got addicted to it. I mean, like, it's just all these things. And like you said, this great pain has to happen in order for people to listen. Cause how else, how else? It's just like, that's why I'm looking at it now. And it seems to be at its societal worst. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it can only 
elevate and how do we elevate from this point on, you know? Let me tell you something I said 20 years ago. In a lecture 20 years ago, I said, our society is at the highest level of stress that it's ever been. I said that 20 years ago. Wow. Now look at where we're at 20 years later. So amazing. But then I think about individuals such as yourself, young, brilliant, passionate, obsessed individuals such as yourself, who's actually, who are actually driving driving and seeing people in these crises states and actually reflective of mental health challenges and conditions. I'm 20 years older than you. So there's the paradigm, right? So t- someone 20 years, 20 years younger than me is talking about this precipice and what amazing energy that that brings that that's pushing it through. So that's the hope. The hope is that there are amazing, brilliant, great people such as yourself who are young and energized, who are gonna push this thing on over the goal line. Cause the old guys like me, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've been, I've been seeing this, this mess for 25 years and now I'm tired. And so it's really cool and reaff- really reaffirming to me to know that there are young people such as yourself with your level of brilliance that, are, that have an interest in this. And I believe that's when the change really does get made. And that's fantastic. And so I thank you for that. Thank you, Brian. That's that's <laughs> incredible. I love that. Thank you so much for that. I mean, I think our whole society is becoming more aware. And so that's why I keep saying like depressed because I feel like people are talking about it more. Social media, people are getting vulnerable on their posts. And like, you know, it's only the beginning, but I think that, I mean, I think the beginning was 20 years ago when you were lecturing, right? But I think it's going to continue to elevate and and kind of work from there. I mean, we're seeing a lot of systems being destroyed, a lot of belief systems kind of like going out the side door and like a lot of people are tapping into their divinity their power, allowing themselves to connect with others. I mean, I remember one of my hardest things was, you know, and actually this podcast really challenged my whole existence because I was like that person that's like, oh no, like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm bulletproof. Like I can't, you know, I can make it through anything and da, 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 you know, like the yeah egotistical entrepreneur who thinks they have it all together mm. and all of that things. And then what I realized was, I was hiding my struggle from everybody. Mm. All the things I struggled through because I was ashamed of it because I didn't realize like people actually talked about it, right? Like for me, it's like I I grinded so hard and then I made it to such a massive success level. And it's like, I wasn't talking about that side of things, right? When like I knew damn well that it wasn't an overnight thing, but people were only seeing my successes and they weren't seeing everything that was happening behind the scenes that it took to get there. And then I realized I was being inauthentic. I'm like, I'm not sharing the real story. And this is why people feel misaligned because they see only the successes and then they get down on themselves. Like, why aren't I here? Right? Like, why am I not here? You know, like she makes it look so easy in this. So it was like a personal challenge for myself as well, Brian, that it was like, it was work to even get vulnerable to say, yeah. okay, I'm going to share my story authentically. And it was uncomfortable. But the minute that you do, you connect with others and they're like, listen, like, I hear you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In there. Or, or I am there. Like, how did you get through that? Because we're all there. We're all there at some level. We're also all in that place of not being willing to be vulnerable and be authentic. So as soon as someone shows up and they're willing to be vulnerable and they're willing to be authentic, then you have other people that say, hey, I'm with you. I'm there, too. But it takes 
it takes that first step of you being willing to be vulnerable and be authentic for people to go, oh, so then they have an actual person that they're connected to, you know, and they're, they're saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're actually all a part of the same tribe after all. Right. Absolutely. So that was my journey in, in a nutshell when it came to all of this. But That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. And, and for you in your journey, how did you break through in your world, Brian, when it came to like kind of releasing, like getting to the next level? Because I'm sure that was an experience. <laughs> it's actually it's actually a fascinating story. I, I, I had a mentor shortly after I got into mental health. I started my first company and I started trying to grow that company. And I was always, I've always been a student. So I always wanted to learn more and do more. And I was reading some books and found this mentor. She'd written this book and I went and was doing this weekend, this weekend intensive with her and her team and these eight other families. And I was, I was lead being, I was a leader for one of these families and I was working with this dad. And so we called them multifamily intensives. So eight families would get together and I'm talking gut-wrenching, emotional outpourings of just trauma and pain. And we do that for two days and people would have these breakthroughs. And so I'm working with this couple and this dad, this mom is with her, holding her husband. We all had these mats. She's holding her husband. And I'm talking to him about when he was a little boy and his dad abandoned him when he was like three years old. And I said, say, dad, dad, where are you? And, and I spoke those words to him and he said, dad, dad, where are you? And I'm right here with this family and I'm kind of holding this dad's hand and, and I have my arm around the mom. And I said, say it again, dad, where are you? And almost simultaneous, he and I went down the rabbit hole at the same time. He just and then I just went whoosh. I just started boo-hoo and dad, where are you? And up until that point, I had not ever even thought about my biological father and the absence of him in my emotional life. I'd always thought about my biological mother, but I never thought about my biological father until that moment. And so then I, I just went through this huge emotional release, completely caught me off guard. I mean, I was like, whoa, that was amazing. And then from there, I just started doing more, more deep emotional process work, more trauma work. It's so much of what I've done my whole career is just doing deep emotional process work. And then I train therapists and I go I put parents through these camps. And so as a part of that, I do that same emotional process because I don't believe I can ask someone to go somewhere where I haven't gone hundreds of times. So now my, my emotional window of tolerance for other people's pain and my own pain is really wide. But it started with that emotional breakthrough, which was completely unexpected, but it was truly a paradigm shift. Wow. Oh my God. As you were sharing that story, I could like see it and feel it. Oh my God. Wow. That was so intense. Wow. It is. I could, I could feel it all. Oh my goodness, Brian, that was powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Of course. And, you know, there are so many people out here that are struggling with their traumas, Brian. I mean, whether it's, oh, yes. you know, a childhood situation or something in their adult life or a teenage, like what have you, what would be your best recommendation and your best piece of advice in terms of like, how do you address that trauma? How do you release that trauma? How do you deal with that trauma? What would be your best piece of advice there? I think the first thing, the first step is people developing an awareness that the painful things that they're going through in their lives right now are actually rooted in something in the past. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's showing up now, whether it's a parent who's struggling with their adopted child, whether it's an adult who's in the who's, who's in the midst of addiction, whether it's a couple who's in domestic violence or going through divorce, it doesn't matter. All emotional reactivity stems from unfinished business. The first thing, the moment you find yourself being reactive to someone or something, it has far less to do with that person or that thing and far more to do with you. So awareness that there is something deeper is so important. And the way you get to that is you got to get still. You got to get still. Turn off all the electronics. Put the phone down. Take some deep breaths into your body. And I'm just giving you a really simple, a real simple practice is put your hands on your chest or in your gut. And you're breathing into your body, you're slowing down, you're breathing into your body, and you just ask yourself, what is this pain about? Where does this pain come from? Talk to your body because your body is an alive, energetic experience that holds memories. And it'll answer you if you can just turn off all this chatter up in the left hemisphere. So you breathe into your body because that activates your right hemisphere and it activates your body because your right hemisphere is actually connected to your gut. You ask yourself, what is this pain really about? What is this pain really connected to? What is my, my frustration with my wife? What is it really about? Instead of making it about her or making it about my kids or the in-laws or the bills, ask yourself, what's this pain really about? Breathe into that. And give yourself some time with that and listen. And then you're going you're gonna to tap around on something. And you're going to feel it when you hit it. Because your body's going to, your throat's going to constrict. Your gut's going to churn. You're going you're gonna to flash with heat. You're going to, all of a sudden, you're going to want to stop and want to jump up and move around. You're going to look for some reason to get distracted. And that's all fine. Bring yourself right back to that spot and breathe into it a little bit more. And just say, what is this really about? And when you get some kind of awareness of it, you know, maybe take some time, write it down, you know, write down the story, talk to someone about it and spend time with it. And then you just put it away. You don't have to do anything more with it because it can be really overwhelming, but eventually come back to it. And what you're doing in that moment is you're taking something that's unconscious and you're making it conscious. That's the way you gain full power and control over your life is by taking unconscious things and making them more conscious. And when you can make that a practice of instead of getting outer directed, get inner directed, you'll find yourself experiencing so much more openness and awareness and freedom and power in your life and feeling so diminishment and feeling helpless and controlled by other things and circumstances. That's just like really, really quick. And people can play with that. <laughs> I love how you're like, Oh, no big deal with this. That's huge, Brian. That could help so many people. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. It's crazy. Like our body, we are energy. We're energetic beings, like literally oh, it is vibration. We are, we're vibration. And it's like your body never lies. So I remember using tools of divinity for the very first time. And like, there's these things that like, I don't know if you've ever used them, Brian, but they look like sticks and they go out. Have you ever seen them? I haven't. It's like an L-shaped thing that you can hold and it'll turn one way for yes and turn another way for no. And it'll like okay. certain things. And I'm like, this is so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, how does this stuff work? I'm like, it's energy. Your body knows. And then um, there's another, isn't there another tactic too with like your hand that you can test certain things and like muscle, uh, muscle testing, muscle yeah. testing. Yes. Uh -huh. Crazy how your body knows crazy how your body knows. And, and Brian too, I want to pick your brain one more time you are the child behavior expert so for a parent that has a child right now or 
a caregiver that has a child right now that might be struggling with behavior, mm-hmm. bad behavior or what have you, what would be your best piece of advice to them? Like action steps, well, steps they can take today. I mean, definitely we're going to give the resource for your book for sure. So they can, yeah. oh. <laughs> but, but that's a doubt. But I mean, what would be, what would be your piece of advice? I mean, I'm going to give you uh, three very, very simple steps for parents to remember. And these are, they're simple, but they're not easy. The first is when your child is having behavior episode or issue, the first thing you have to do as a parent is you have to breathe. You have to slow down and take three to 10 deep breaths, slow, deep breaths, because what happens is your child's behavior causes your cortisol reaction. And as soon as your cortisol reaction kicks in, you move into survival and you want to control, suppress, or change that behavior. So the first thing you have to do is you have to breathe. The second thing you have to do is you have to slow down. As stressful and as urgent and as pressing as it may seem, because actually it's your amygdala doing that to you. Your amygdala wants to speed you up because it's your fear receptor. It wants you to protect yourself, but there's really very little to be protected from in that moment. You have to breathe. You have to slow down. And when I, I mean, literally physically slowing down your body, slowing down your tone of voice, slowing down your pace, slow everything down, stand still, back up if you need to. Slow down time. So you're breathing, you're slowing down. The next thing I'm going to ask you to do is soften. And you soften by realizing that under, underneath your child's behavior, this is so important, underneath your child's behavior, they're in a place of fear and their brain and their body is in a place of stress. Mm. And they don't even know it. And that fear and stress can be connected to all manner of experiences. But if you don't soften your own heart, so you you breathe to start to get out of your head, you slow down to relax your body and you soften to gain access to your heart energy. And when you do that, you think not my child's misbehaving. You think to yourself, my child is stressed and scared. My child is stressed and scared. It's not that my child's misbehaving. My child is stressed and scared. How can I soothe their stress and their fear? You answer that question. You let that motivate you. You let that drive you. You will have an enormous breakthrough. I call it a love revolution in your relationship and in your home, if you can do that. You're just amazing. <laughs> Can I decide that you're just so I could listen to Brian all day long. So inspiring. No, seriously. I mean, that is huge. Like simple things like this is what changes the world, Brian. Like you said, a love revolution. And that's really what it is. It sets you in this compassionate space to be more understanding. And like that's going to help so many people. Thank you so much for that, Brian. You're an absolute, absolute rock star, my friend. Oh my gosh. Now Personal question for you, and this is one of my favorite questions ever. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? My older self would tell my younger self, you're scared and it's okay to breathe. You're going to be okay. I was so fearful when I was young and I didn't know it. Mm. I didn't know it. I didn't realize I was scared, Pam, until I was 27 years old. If I could have had someone tell me that I literally was fearful, racked with anxiety, and that I was going to be okay and to just breathe, it would have brought an enormous amount of peace in my life. 
However, I am 100% okay with that journey and who I am and where I am today. I love that, Brian. You're so incredible. Like, just like I said, I could listen to you all day. You're an absolute rock star. You're so full of wisdom and just such beautiful energy and just, oh, thank you. I just, I just adore you, Brian. Now in your world, like what's up, you're working on so many beautiful things in the world. So what's up in your world, the next six to 12 months, what's happening? Uh, You know, the next six to 12 months, I got two, uh, two major projects. One is I started an adoption wraparound services program in Northern California that we've been doing for the last three years where we work with at-risk adoptive families. So we're growing that program. There's so many families in need in Northern California. So really focused on that. And then the second is I'm launching a new, a new company called Major Media League, which is a social media platform for young athletes, which is teaching them entrepreneurship. It's teaching them skill mastery, and it's also teaching them emotional and mental health. And it's going to all be on, a, on an app that we're creating they're going to be able to compete. They're going to be able to network with other young athletes. I was a young athlete. As a young athlete, I worked super hard. I got to college. We're also going to teach them how to monetize their, their brands and how to grow their influence. So as an athlete that worked so hard and got to college, I was broke when I got to college, even though I was on a, a full scholarship. And now with name, images, and likenesses, that really opens that up. And that's NCAA, NCAA rule that passed you know, young athletes can can now monetize their name, their image, and their likeness, which creates a whole new opportunity for them. But I want to give them an immediate platform where they can compete and win prizes and scholarships and iPads and iPhones and things like that. They can build their mastery, learn entrepreneurship. I want to grow a million young athlete entrepreneurs. Like I want to help these kids when they're 14, because much like you probably, Pam, I was an entrepreneur from the time I was six years old. Mm -hmm. So I know kids these days feel helpless because as great as social media is, it also creates a lot of limitations, Mm -hmm. right? Kids, we're, we're all producing, but a lot of times we're not monetizing that production because Facebook's monetizing it and TikTok's monetizing it. Instagram's monetizing it. I want to teach kids that you're producing you can also learn how to monetize that production and have people following you and people willing to donate to your cause and give you money while you're in college and just on and on and on. And hopefully those skills will follow them throughout the rest of their life. So that's major media league. I'm super excited with that partnered up with Leah Miko, three-time Olympic gold medalist in softball. Our initial focus is all girls softball. So we're super excited about that. We have our MML World Fest launch August 6th in Riverside, California. We're going to have Olympians. We're going to have we're have cheerleaders and a band, a marching band. It's going to be just a, a mad, crazy, insane time. And that's when we're going to launch our app officially. So I, I got a lot of stuff going on and it, it all feels good. I'll tell you. I had a lot more energy 20 years ago, <laughs> but now I just turned 49. The energy, the peak energy is not there like it used to be, but the passion and the obsession is still, is still very much there. So I it, love it balances itself out. I absolutely love that, Brian. Oh my God. I can't wait to see those, those things launch. And you forgot to mention two very important things, your book and also your podcast, my friend. So you got oh, yeah. to talk about that good stuff too. So the, the book is actually for all parents. It's written 
in a tone for adoptive parents and foster parents, but all you have to do is mark out adoption and foster care and put biological grandparent, it doesn't matter. It's applicable to all of mankind, humankind. And you can go to feartolovebook.com and you get the book for free, just pay shipping and handling. You get the book we mail to you, you get the ebook, you get an audio. And I just want to be able to change people's lives. We've sold over 700,000 copies of that book uh, worldwide. So super excited about that. And then Major Media League sponsors the Gold Standard podcast with Leah and Miko. And uh, it's on, it's it's called the gold standard on all the major podcast platforms and on YouTube, it's the gold standard life, but uh, super excited about that. She, she, she interviews all these Olympians and they share all these skills of mastery and focus and determination. And to me, it's one of the most beautiful things to be able to offer an opportunity for young athletes to hear from absolute masters of the game mindset right? Motivation and little tips and techniques for how to just blow it out of the ballpark. So those are a couple of things super excited about. I love that, Brian. Thank (laughs) you so much for sharing those. Oh my goodness. You're amazing. You're amazing. Now, Brian, you've got to let everyone know where to find you, my friend. Where can everyone reach you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Big Papa Brian Post. You can find me on YouTube at Brian Post, that's Brian with a Y, B-R-Y-A-N. My website is brianpost.com. But really the best relationship for parents is feartolovebook.com. And then uh, for parents who have young athletes, majormedialeague.com. I'm always available. Thank you, Brian, so much for being here today. You're an absolute rock star and inspiration to this beautiful earth of ours. And just thank you so, so much for all that you're doing and for inspiring us today. You've certainly inspired me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat sending you so so much love all we know is over time working like some underdogs underdogs